What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 286 of Two Amazon Sellers and a Microphone, brought to you by Solozo. Um, and I can already tell, Chris, I know you can tell, too, this is going to be a lot of fun, uh, this episode. We're, who knows where this one is going to go? I mean, we're, we're going to talk about navigating uh, the evolving Amazon ecosystem, which right there is enough to talk for like nine hours, I feel like. Uh, there's so much going on in the, in the space right now, but uh, we're really excited uh, about our guest. We're going to talk about everything, his background, his podcast that he just launched, um, and then what he's up to now, and obviously navigating Amazon's ecosystem. But joining us today is Rob Green, the host of the I'm the One podcast. What's up, Rob? How are you? What's up, Dustin? What's up, Chris? How you guys doing? Hey, we're good. We're good. We've. I feel like we just want to dive in because we have so much to talk about we want to just kind of pick your brain a little bit but rob i know the um people that are listening and watching right now uh this may be the first time that they've uh been introduced to you so i'd love just to start with with your story we don't we don't know it yet we haven't even talked about it uh between us so we're really excited just to hear just sort of what got you into e-commerce and amazon and and your your whole journey through that so i'll, I'll turn it over to you get us get us started yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of times the advice is find something you're passionate about. I, I generally don't agree with that advice, but I worked in corporate America for a long time and I found my passion, which was I hated corporate America. Uh, <laughs> it was obvious and clear to me that I was not a good fit. Uh, I, I'm completely unemployable and I have been for a long time now. Uh, but I started doing uh, e-commerce back in 2011, drop shipping, and then got introduced through ASM to um, private labeling in 2014. Uh, and I, I signed up for the course. And I just booked a trip to China, man. I went to the Canton Fair, booked a trip to Guangzhou, and a few friends were like, hey, you're going. I'm going with you. I didn't know anything about freight forwarding. I knew nothing. But I started first private label business in 2015. Uh, I've started a handful since then. I've sold three brands, one in 19, one in 20, one in 21. Uh, we currently have four, uh, three, manufacturer, three brands manufactured in China products, and then uh, one manufactured in the U.S. We have a supplement brand. So been doing this for a while. Um, I'm an MDS and uh, spoke at a few events back in the day. Buddies with Manny Coates, Helium 10, and spoke a few at the Illuminati masterminds that he had back in the day and got started and really built the network. So uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, I was just, I'm going to Amazon this week actually, up in head, at uh, Seattle and talking about like a voice of the seller meeting with a few friends and uh, meeting with some directors and VPs up there. That's kind of my background. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> that is that's, uh that's the quote man that's how we got started in this dustin and i both were just avid podcast listeners and we listened to the you know the, the gurus back in the day at the time there was only two of them yeah uh, you know scott bulker and then manny came yeah. in and and that's how we all got into this crazy mess of private label but uh quickly got addicted to it like i'm still addicted yeah. to it everything everything about selling online is like just i love it and to try to hustle and man you're, you're speaking our language now so that's that's really cool <laughs> and just a quick just a quick tip on that dustin and chris quick tip on that so how i met manny is i was listening to the podcast i was like oh this seems this guy seems pretty authentic this is like i don't know 2015 maybe 2016 yeah. and i was at an event i was at an event and you know you know he's, he's podcast famous as i call it had a little group around him and i walked up to him and i'm like hey man i really appreciate the pod you, you're very authentic it seemed authentic and I was like, hey, by the way, do you do this? He's like, no. I'm like, do you do this? He's like, no. I'm like, do you know how to do anything? 
Like, what are you talking about in the podcast? And he's like, hey, man, we're going to hang out the rest of the night. And we became buddies. And then uh, we started talking shop. And he's like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the first mastermind in Mexico. And I'm like, well, do you need help You know, finding some speakers? I, I got a couple of people that might do that. So that's where I met. We became buddies with Casey Goss and, and Leo Scovio. Both of them spoke at that first event. And then I uh, went to the second one and did the second one, too, uh, in uh, Hawaii. And this is a great way to start building that network, which I think, you know, a lot of us don't like the corporate America or the traditional networking idea. That's where I think the true value of like an Amazon seller, because we know that things change so fast. You have to have a network to call on and go, God, I'm stuck. Like, what do I do? How do I solve this problem? And that's probably the best thing I ever did was start building that network early on. Yeah. I mean, Chris, that's where I'm at now. Like, that's that's where I'm at now. Just to kind of get a little bit more into my my journey. Is like you're you get to a point where you're like, damn, do I go left or do I go right? And if I go right, what happens if I go left? I've been down this road and I've I've went the wrong direction and it, it put me in debt. I'm still in debt. And it's just <laughs> you're like, I don't want to do that again. So when that time comes back, you, and you don't know when it's coming. But when you get there, you're like, okay, I'm at a crossroad. Do I need to go left or right? And this time you want to make sure you make the right decision so you don't take 10 steps back and get yourself in trouble again and have to dig yourself out of a hole. So anybody selling on Amazon, you that, that time comes where you need to like bounce off ideas off of somebody and you can't do this alone because if, if you make the wrong decision, it can bury you. Yeah, we, we I co-founded a, a, a mastermind uh, with Pablo Della a few years ago, six years ago. We call it No BS. So no bullshit allowed. And the big thing, the best decision we ever made about that was that nobody makes any money off it. So the only way you stay in is by adding value, because as everybody gets more successful, these, these masterminds can be expensive, 25 grand a year, 15 grand a year, 30 grand a year. As people make more money, they just pay money and show up and they're like, OK, I'm ready teach me. Right. So we changed that dynamic and said, Hey, if you don't bring value, unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to ask you to leave the mastermind. Uh, never a fun conversation. Uh, somehow I get blamed for the voting. Uh, we all vote <laughs> and we rank it. So there's a few people I run into still at trade shows and conferences where, you know, it was my fault that they were asked to not be a part of the mastermind anymore. But the true value is that everybody that comes brings their a game. And we get amazing guests. So we had a few, the best guest leaks we ever had last month. And we do it in Scottsdale here, Arizona, uh, three times a year now. We used to do it all over the world, but now we kind of streamlined everything. And you get these great guests, like massive, you know, founders that have done, uh, one of them did a $600 million exit last year. Like we just get some really crazy guests because it's a high quality, tight knit group that is there to add value to everybody involved. So we can go whatever direction you want. Chris, I'd love to dive into what your situation is and maybe give some advice and try to help if I can during the call today. Sure, let's do it. So I'm at a, uh, and Dustin, I'm, I know I'm taking go, this over. Go for but it. I'm, I'm at a, I'm, I'm at a, uh, a crossword where um, do, do I keep adding more products to my product offering and keep investing into new products or squeeze what I've got and become the best seller of an existing of the existing products I have in order to just take over more market share of the existing products that I currently sell. And I've got product opportunity all around me. Uh, all my products are able to get here in the States. I can do low minimums. 
Uh, I got 30 day terms on it. Like logistic wise, it's very favorable. I don't, I'm not importing anything from China. Everything's here in the States. I get net 30 on everything I buy. I can order as less as less like 50 units as, as I want. And so I have all this opportunity to add more product to my catalog or stick with what I've got. Let's call it 20 SKUs and scale those up and try to squeeze as much out of them as I can. So I've done this. I feel like I've done this before, but this was I was importing from China and I went really thin on my product mm -hmm. category. I added a bunch of SKUs, tried to take over a category. But what I found was I wasn't able to reinvest the profits because I was too thin and all and all the money was in uh, like new product. I wasn't able to reinvest into product to get those to scale up. So this is where I'm like at a point where I'm like, okay, uh, this feels familiar. Uh, do, do I squeeze what I got? Or since I've got really good logistics and, and product opportunity here, um, add more SKUs to the brand and try to take over more market share. So I'd be curious your thoughts. Let's dive into this, man. I love this stuff, by the way. So, <laughs> all right, let's take back to first principles. Number one, anytime you launch a new product, you need to have a system to understand the opportunity of the product that you're launching. So along with a friend, I built a, a simple scoring mechanism a few years ago. And what that does, it gives a score for every product opportunity. And so anything over 50 is a hell yes for us. 40 to 49 is a, is, is a good, solid opportunity. And below that, we don't even consider launching. it. So it gives you a scoring mechanism, right? And it takes into a bunch of factors. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty rudimentary uh, system I built. You know, you're pulling in data, you're scraping some data, you're putting it all together, and then it's a weighting system, depending on how you feel, what's most important in your category. Maybe, maybe reviews are the number one thing in your subcategory, or maybe um, total search volume might be the most important thing. You can weight it as you see fit, and then you'll give you a scoring system. So the first thing I would ask you, because you have what's called a, a great cash conversion cycle, which I'm a finance guy, so not a lot of guys talk about this, but how fast can you convert your cash, right? If you've got 38 terms in the and in the US, I assume your lead time is less than 30 days. Two weeks. So Perfect. You're making it in two weeks. You're getting it into Amazon. You're starting to sell before you actually have to make a payment on it. You've got a great cash conversion cycle if it succeeds. If it doesn't succeed, you end up down the wrong path where you're just spending more and more and more money. And that's what happens with a lot of people in the China, you know, manufactured in China products is because they wait for it to get here. They've already, maybe you already paid for it. Now it's on the water. Now they get away for Amazon and get checked in. They don't have money for a long time and it spins up to be more and more money. And that cash conversion cycle is really, really important, especially if your constraint is finances. So number one, do you have a, pro a good way to assess the, opportunity of the products you're going to launch, right? Are these going to for sure be successful or are they more of a coin flip 50-50? And then the second thing I would think about is how likely are you to be able to penetrate and grab more market share than you currently have on your existing products? Those are the two questions I'd have for you. So um, this is a great question. So I'm, I think they're more 50-50. The reason I say this is uh, I'm launching more products within the same brand. And so uh, the brand, uh, the category has a lot of products that I can launch and, and make myself look more legit. So um, I'm willing to add more products to the brand um, because they're kind of in the same category. Uh, 
um, and I can get repeat purchases from my existing customers that way. Um, so it's kind of a coin flip. So I'm my pro product picking process is looking at the ROI of an item and seeing if it brings back a positive ROI. Uh, that that number is like 70% or higher is what I'm looking at as a percentage okay. of ROI. Uh, and I'm good making like three or $4 per sale because a lot mm -hmm. of the products are subscribe and save. I'm trying to mm -hmm. get subscriptions. Um, so this oh, is where I'm like- Chris, I got a lot of questions, buddy. We spent 10 hours on this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna help you solve this problem here. So number one, let's take a step back. What is your goal for the brand? My goal for the brand is Do you want, is this a lifestyle brand where you want to make money and keep it for a long time? Yes. Do you want to build it up to a certain number and then sell it? Okay. Do you want to, you're going to own this forever. How do you think about the brand as of today? I currently think of it as a lifestyle brand. And at some point, okay. I believe it's going to get to a uh, growth area where I'm not going to be able to manage it myself. And I'm going to have to either let it die or just sell it off to somebody that can manage it and take it to the next level. It feels Perfect. like that's going to happen at some point. Okay. So you're doing what I would, what I do in all the brands that I have, which is called built to sell. I build every brand so that it's capable of being sold if I want to sell it, or it's profitable that I can keep it if I want to, but it gives me optionality, right? Yep. So I think you want to build it. So it's got optionality to either sell it at that point or keep it and make profit off of it. Right. Yep. So let's go back a little bit more. So now we know the goal of the brand is. Now, what's the fastest way for you to get to that so you've got enough cash so that money isn't a constraint? Generally speaking, existing products, improving them from a listing perspective, a conversion rate perspective, um, using data, whether it's PPC data, SQP data, product opportunity explorer data, how could you identify opportunities to take more market share? That's usually faster and cheaper than it is to launch new products, in my experience. But if you have low-hanging fruit in those, in those additional products, you should definitely launch products that are going to be successful that add cross-sell opportunities for your brands. You said something really important that not enough people talk about, which is subscribe and save. Do you know your lifetime value of your product? Two, two and a half times uh, is the number I get from Amazon. Versus okay. non-subscribers. So uh, an average subscriber uh, gets three orders from me. Okay. Um, before they get, before they move on or before they cancel okay. or, or whatever. But on average, it's three. And is that in what time frame? Is that like in a 12-month time frame? That's in the, um, I believe that's a 12-month time frame. Okay. So what I'm saying is this isn't the product you order one year and then the next year and the next year. This is all in a short period of time. This is a product you probably order every two to three months perfect okay so how i think about this and this is uh, we, we launched a, a a supplement a powder in 2019 and we were up against perfect keto and quest nutrition like big brands in that space and by me calculating my lifetime value it allowed me to change the marketing directives which allowed me to kick their butt and surpass both of them and become the best seller in the subcategory and what I mean by that is if you take, so here's what most people, so you're making three to four bucks a piece. So selling for like 12 bucks, 13 uh, bucks. My, my, my average order value is around 25 to $30. Okay, perfect. Let's say, let's use $25, easy number, right? And if let's say you're making, 
let's say you're making five bucks on each one. Is that fair to say? Can we use sure. those numbers? Right. That's fair. That's okay. Fair. So, and the average person orders three times, right? So now mm-hmm. we got a $75 lifetime value from a revenue perspective and a $15 lifetime revenue, lifetime profit, right? From the, each right. customer. All right. right. What most people do when they run ads is they say, well, I can only be at 20% ACOS because I make $5 on my $25, right? right? That's in most people's head. If I go above that, I'm losing money. This is like 99% of sellers. Think sure. this way. Now, if I switch the numbers on a subscribe and save product, if I make $15 over the lifetime of that customer and I use your upfront order value of $25, right? We're yep. at a 60% ACOS. Yep. Now, here's the beauty of this. If you know the math on this, 99% of your customers don't know the math. You could go up to a 60% ACOS while you lose money on the initial transaction, you make money on the long run. And because your competitors typically don't understand this, you're gonna be outbidding them and you're not gonna have to go to 60, provided you have a good conversion rate. You're gonna win at a significantly higher rate because you're gonna be running while they're walking. I do this now and I'm- Perfect. I don't look at ACOS. I'm willing to go high on ACOS because I wanna get them on a subscription to get them back full on the second order. I'm, I, I use ads to that advantage. So okay. you're speaking my language there. Okay, next question. Do you analyze SQP data to understand where your products outperform the market from a conversion rate and a click-through rate perspective? Probably not. Okay, so most people don't. I've been advising on a software tool called Stoke, which is in beta right now out of Seattle. but this is the problem. We all have this problem with Amazon or any, any e-commerce to get data, right? You got to pull the data down. Then you've got to correlate the data. Then you got to figure out, is this data accurate? Like, is it, this is how I think about it. VIP. Is it valid? Is the data valid? Are there any insights? And then what can I do? What actions or performance can I take because of that? Right? So this is really hard to do. Although you can now download tables from Amazon and look at your data. You want to understand, am I spending money on keywords where I outperform? There's a lot of different ways to get ranking right on Amazon and, and, and top of page one. But if you don't have an outperforming product relative to that keyword, then you're not going to stick the landing, as I call it, or everybody calls it stick the landing, right? You can get there, but you're not going to hold it. So if you've got a product that, and we both sell the same product, and the market rate is 10% conversion rate, and you're at eight and I'm at 12, eventually I'm going to beat you yeah. if I know what I'm doing, right? So a lot of people spend money as a basket of keywords and sometimes even as a basket of products. I personally believe Amazon has gotten so complex that you need a buy keyword by ASIN strategy, which sounds overwhelming to most people, but I believe we are now in, this is not 2015 anymore, guys. I mean, like you guys know, like say ain't even 2018 anymore. No. Like you can't, you can't just go 30% ACOS across the board treat them all the same and cross your fingers and make money and hope it'll work. I think you need to understand like, where is your product winning in the marketplace? And there, I have found when I look at the data, tremendous opportunities in that data to say, oh man, I've been spending the same amount of money on a keyword that underperforms the market compared to a keyword that outperforms the market. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what's that called? SKP or SKUP? So 
Yeah, SQP is the data search query performance is gotcha. the data inside of Amazon. And that data will give you the, if you think about the funnel, right? You've got your impressions relative to the market share. You've got your clicks. You've got your add to cart. And then you've got your conversion rate. And if you think about it, you really want your product. Well, let me take a step back. I, you guys got me started. Now I'm, I'm deep. Yeah. I'm wearing a data already, guys. It's like 10 minutes in, 20 minutes in already. But so when you think about it, right, it, everything is either a traffic problem or a conversion problem, right? Yep. If you don't have visibility, which means you're not ranking you're not, or you're not buying ads, you have no visibility, you have zero chance, right? So first of all, we have to solve the visibility problem. The second problem is if you have visibility and you don't convert, you now have a financial problem because you have to buy visibility and you can't convert to convert into money, which means you're wasting money, which is, I think, the, I would say that's the biggest problem newer sellers have is they spend all the money to market and rank and and advertise and then like oh but i, I don't get any sales or I, my a cost is terrible i don't make any money what's well, because you're not converting right so you're not converting we have, that's a conversation we have daily with sellers okay. right there. so that's the gap and, and i think that you know even most of my friends that are, i mean i've got tons of friends that are in the space that are really really successful sellers and most of them are not data savvy i'll call it right but even on their team, they may not have somebody data savvy. So there's always opportunity to dig into the data and find out these, these opportunities, but you really need a process or a way to think about it. And so as I think about things, like it's a framework, what's the most important framework? How do I get visibility? And then when I get the visibility, how do I outperform my relative competition? Because that's how Amazon views it, right? We all know the algorithm is how am I converting? How many sales am I having compared to my competitor? And then Amazon takes it two steps further, which is how are my clicks and how are my add to carts compared to my, my competition? So what I'm hearing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I can talk for days. Is, fastest way of growth is improve what you currently have by improving your conversion rate to gain more market share. Yeah, I would say it's a, it's a visibility potentially. So you have to identify first. Am I converting above market? If I'm not converting above market, that's your low-hanging fruit. If I am converting above market, do I have enough visibility? If I don't have enough visibility, then I got to solve that problem. And this go, but this goes back to one step further, Chris. It's fortunate that you're not, you know, buying stuff in China now because we've all seen, including myself, that just massive margin compression no. on products made in China. Come on, I mean, did it give you some context? I used to do that, and I was like, never again. Like, yeah. I, I found a supplier here. Locally, I'm like, forget it. We're we're no longer doing that brand. We're doing this brand. Yeah, super hard. And we, we, we struggle with the same thing. Not that we're having trouble selling. We're having trouble making profit on a lot of these products, right? So I'm, I'm ruthlessly killing products that don't make unit economic sense. And that's the other thing. You've got to really be, you know, clear on your numbers. I, we're, we're in the process of, of acquiring businesses right now, brands. And uh, as it's gotten more complex, you know, some people are solo shops or maybe they got a, I talked to a guy recently, super nice guy. This is like his secondary brand. He's in electronics. His, this is a secondary brand. He started a few years ago. He has no understanding of the ecosystem we're talking about here. Like he doesn't know squat, super nice guy, but he's like, I, I don't know how to do any of this stuff you're talking about. He has no chance of winning like none. He is not going to just turn this thing around and make it go well. It used to do well. It's not doing as well because it's gotten more complex. 
But you have to understand, like, look at the unit economics. Do I have the money in this product to be able to do it? What I see a lot of times is people fall into the old age old trap of buy something light that you can ship, buy something cheap so you don't have to spend a lot of money. And guess what you end up with? A product that sells for $12 on Amazon. You got $4 in, pro- in profit to advertise with. Well, guess what? It's three bucks a click. Oh, so you only need a, you only need a 75% conversion rate and you can make money. Well, that doesn't exist. So unless you have the unit economics, it won't turn into a profitable business. You're kind of spinning your wheels or you're, you're running on that treadmill forever. That's how I think about it. Well, it's great advice because what, what you just laid out is that was, <laughs> excuse me, that was my story on private label. I mean, I started like, and sometimes I kick myself for it, but sometimes I'm like, it was 2014. You could literally almost throw anything on Amazon and, and sell it. I mean, everything was different. The way you could generate reviews super fast. Uh, every, you know, it was, it was more wild, wild west. Um, but that's what ended up slowing down my private label after being successful. I mean, I would consider myself <clears throat> very successful for five, six years. I mean, that was, I was all in. It was my only business. You know, I quit my job, my corporate jobs from, from previous. Um, but the same thing happened. They were, the products were, the benefit early on was they were an, uh, a lower investment and you could get a high sales velocity. And yeah, you're making four or $5 a unit and you're selling hundreds a day. It was phenomenal. Right. And then, but then everything happened. I mean, every, every factory in China quickly learned how to sell themselves on Amazon, <laughs> you know, and then any of those commoditized niches, it was, it was the, the economics it, I was better marketer. I had better listings. I had everything. I was better at everything because I was in it. I wasn't better at the unit economics towards the end of that run. And so you're, yeah. you're done. And right. you can't overcome that, Dustin. You can't overcome it because here, the problem is, is that, you know, costs have gone up and I'll say costs as in product cost and in advertising cost. Sure. And then the increased Chinese competition has brought selling price down. So we're getting truly squeezed. Correct. Our margin is getting squeezed on both sides. So now you have to think about it and say, okay, what are my differentiators that I can still win on today? And what can I win on moving forward for not, you know, it used to be we could launch a product and be profitable the second month. I mean, even with a hard launch, now you're like, oh, shoot, it could be six, nine months or maybe never. Is that worth the, the, the risk of that capital to get that turnaround? And then because it's de- degrading so fast, how do I turn it around and how do I sell it? Right. So I just think we've got to be better at so many more things than we had to be in, you know, past years. You could be good at a couple of things and win. Now you've got to be better at many, many things because you typically don't have the unit economic advantage. Rob, when do you launch new products? When do you know the time to launch a new product? Like that's something I struggle with now is like, I like to launch new products and I like to find new products and I like to talk to my supplier about new products. I like to put them on there. I like to get the creative work done. I like them to make new listings. Like I like that part of the business, right? Yeah. This is where I think I get myself in trouble though, because I like to add new SKUs a lot, but I like to pass them on to the Amazon wheel and let them let them sell. It's like when do you? What's the dedicated balance there? Uh, We've actually slowed. We launched a ton of products, uh, dozens last year, and we have slowed dramatically because we've we looked at the data. And so we're launching far less products in like, I mean, like only a handful from China this year, because I just kept looking at the, I just kept running the numbers and like, okay, 
it's taking longer to be profitable or they're not even turning to profitable because of those two, that compression we were just talking about. So we're shifting to North America made. And we already have one brand uh, in SUPS. I, I was just at the trade show in Vegas last week, the uh, Supply Side West, the ingredients one. And so we're shifting to uh, categories that we can make the products in the U.S., and we're looking for products um, that are more inelastic, which means that the price doesn't degrade so, so fast. I got friends that they've been selling the same product for nine years and the price is exactly the same. Hmm. Like you're not, you're not doing that, that with a, a Chinese manufactured in China product, right? It's I've seen stuff. We launched stuff last year that when we found it, it was like $80. We, by the time we launched, it was 50 and now it's like 25. Good. And you're like, what? I, I can't. At the, the, the unit economics breaks down in that situation, right? And then the other thing I think is, you, you know, I, I hate to say that you have to go omni-channel. I mean, we sell in Walmart and, and, and you'd mentioned you sell on, you know, other, other marketplaces and Shopify. But, you know, some people say like that's a panacea, like, oh, you got to go omni-channel and that's the answer. Well, my friends that are pure omni-channel, like big, big businesses, tens of millions of dollars, they make profit on Amazon, they break even in retail. Yeah. And they probably lose money on Shopify and direct to consumer, right? Because it's a higher cost to acquire. So you really have to ha understand what you're trying to build and what your exit strategy is. If you're trying to build a $100 million company, you probably need omnichannel. Not that it has to be, but you probably need omnichannel. If you're trying to build a lifestyle business and get to four, five, six, ten million $10 million, you can do that on Amazon. No problem. You can definitely do that on Amazon alone. And then maybe you try to sell it at that point when you get to a profit, you know, enough profit to be able to sell it. But there's a lot of different angles. I think everybody just has to really understand the game that they're playing. And now you need to be more specific about what game you're playing. We're not playing the Amazon game. We're playing a game in which you understand of what kind of business you're building. And it, will that be something you keep or will that be something you sell? And then how fast do you want your, you know, what's your turn time on that? When you build these brands, how much time do you put into like having a proven social page and a proven uh, website page? Like, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. But I will say that I, we're, there's a new opportunity that we're looking at. I want to go. I would like to go. I want to build a $100 million brand. I've never built a $100 million brand. And we've got one in mind right now. I, I know the path. I know exactly what I want to do with it. I'm working on that to get the right. Uh, I, I want There's a certain person I would like, an influencer, uh, celebrity slash influencer that I would like to partner with on this one. And I'm trying to get in touch with him. So I'm working on that right now. I already have everything sketched out. I already have a pitch for him. We built a site that looks like him to like explain to him what we're going to build. So I think you've got to think differently now. I, I think that uh, really understanding what your goals are is super important. And then also understanding what your, you know, how fast you want to move. And is this like a, is this a brand you want to be passionate about? Or is this a brand just to make money? And most of mine have just been about making money. I started one uh, named after my daughters, which has been fun. It's like arts and crafts and they're involved and they're in the pictures and they're in the videos. But like, I don't, I have no desire about arts. I mean, I do arts and crafts with my daughters, but like beyond that, I mean, I'm no expert in string art, dude. I don't know anything about that stuff. So <laughs> like, I, I, I'd like to do something more along the lines, a really big brand that, you know, is less a long time that I'm passionate about, right? Health oriented, exercise oriented that I'm I'm more interested in. I love, I love it. it. I love this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> These conversations are always, uh, they're always fascinating because I mean, <clears throat> people that have been selling a long time, they understand this. This is one of the things um, it's not a knock against people that 
put out courses and all this other stuff that they do. Um, but I just talk to so many people that have invested money in into you know their their dream, and I could have told them on day one this was never going to work, you know. And it's like that's why these conversations are are, are so fascinating because like today everything that you talk about about unit economics is so important. You cannot launch right now into a competitive niche with no differentiators and low margins and think you're going to succeed. You'll, it will never happen. It's all about starting now where you, you know you've got high margins, margins that can absorb uh, you know, aggressive advertising, niches that are not saturated, differentiators that are make it tougher for people to enter, more expensive products, um, more quality. I mean, there's there's so many things that I think you're you're you've been hitting on that it's it's tough to see a lot of people that are like they keep seeing the same thing. You're going to get rich by just flipping products on Amazon, and it's not the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'll try not to swear much here today, but I, I hate those freaking guys, man. <laughs> I I mean, I've known a few of them over the years, and there are, and, and I I don't want to I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. There are some guys that are truly out, I feel like, to educate and help. Like uh, Brandon Young's a guy that I like. Uh, Liron. Liron does an excellent job. I mean, I, I, those guys, I think, do an excellent job of trying to educate, right? And tell, like, hey, here's the, here's the potential downside. I can't stand the guys that come along and like, oh, yeah, you know, done for you. Jesus Christ, oh. come on, man. You got 30 grand in your bank, give it to us and we'll turn it into more come on, please just save your money. Don't do that. Like, I, I think everybody should consider like, what are your advantages? What's your edge, right? Are you, a, are you better at data and PPC? Are you better at marketing? Are you, do you have a unit economic advantage? Like what's your edge? You've got to ask yourself like legitimately, how am I going to win? It can't be, you're going to start off with less reviews. So you're already at a significant advantage. So your advantages better be larger than your disadvantages have any chance at winning and i i just i feel really bad uh for all the bad advice that's been given out there I, i've got friends many friends like parents of friends parents of kids that you know go to school together and stuff they're like hey i want to do this i'm like don't don't do this. you don't know anything about this don't do it i i mean like i it a lot of people want to do what we do but they're unwilling to do what i did that's for sure and I, that's for damn and sure I, they want the easy button, right? They see we we're we're very fortunate. Um, we live in Phoenix. It's hotter than Hades here every summer, but we leave for the entire summer. We're gone. You know, this summer we we're in Hawaii for the summer. Last year we were in Portugal and Greece. And people are like, "Oh, I want to do that." I'm like, "Great, go do this. Go learn something for ten years, and then you can go do the same thing. Just go spend the time and energy and become an expert in what you're doing." So I think it's just people get sucked into that. Like, I want to push the easy button. I want to flip products. I want to just flip this one. It's easy to find survivorship bias where you're like, oh, look at this, you know, spatula that sells, you know, 3,000 units a month. If you had this, you could do 300, you know, $30,000 in revenue and make money. The reality is, is those are just not realistic for somebody getting started today. Does there come a point when you have a brand that you just have to launch a SKU because it makes sense for the brand? Like, I haven't found that, be in that. You need to be in this category because that's what your brand represents. I haven't found that to be profitable. 
I think what you guys are talking about is what I hear from most of my friends. It's like, I got too many products. I got too many SKUs because every SKU adds complexity. Every SKU takes away. And it's funny. I tell my team, if I'm the guy talking about focus, we got a problem because I got a million <laughs> ideas a day. Right. So if I'm the guy that's got to like, Hey, we got to narrow our focus. We got an issue. It's, it's I play soccer uh, still. And I'm like, listen, if we're in a game, and I'm telling you to calm down, you got, you've gone too far. Cause I'm usually the guy that's ready to fight and all hot headed. And like, if I'm pulling you off, like, dude, just click in your head, you've gone too far. Same thing with this. If I'm telling you got to narrow your focus down, uh, you got a problem. So we're cutting and focusing on the stuff that really matters and focus on the ones that make a difference. And it's so crazy. Cause I've always been the guy like expand, 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 multiply, do more and more. And it just doesn't make sense financially in a lot of cases today. Now, if you have a winner, you should step on the gas. But if you have, if you're just launching things to round out a brand, I don't know anybody that's ever paid more money because it was a rounded out brand. It's got to make sense in the story that you're trying to build. I'm running out of notepad here. <laughs> okay. Well, I got, you, you said something earlier, unit, I, I maybe not got this right. Unit economic advantage. Yeah. So like China, so a Chinese factory has a unit economic advantage over us, right? Like I've been to China six, seven, eight times. And, you know, I pay the, uh, I pay the white guy uh, premium every time I go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I would, I would have like a, a Chinese local person that was a factory uh, sales rep come with me and she would go get 30% better than I could get literally back to back. I would do it all the time. And, you know, we don't have that advantage uh, from anything manufactured in China to get the best price. As much as we negotiate, rarely are we ever going to be the best price. They're going to have a unit economic advantage. So it goes back to just the finances. If I'm paying five bucks a unit and they're paying three, oh, and by the way, they're not paying taxes, income taxes on it. And oh, by the way, they're not employing US employees. They're employing people with lower wages. You've just got to think about this through the whole value chain and understand where you have advantages and where you have disadvantages. Now, Chris, if you've got a unique supplier that nobody else has, or you've got an exclusive contract or a better contract than somebody else has, that's where you have a unit economic advantage. Okay. And now you want to push on that advantage, right? That's when the deck is, is stacked in your favor. I feel like that is the advantage I have because right. all my products are stateside and right. I get net 30 before I you know, pay for the invoice and I can low as I can order as low as like 50 units. Those are all huge advantages. If the product you pick is successful, if you pick a product that's unsuccessful, none of those things matter. And by the way, you might've already done this. I would ask for net 60. Because net 60 and, and net 30 just change your cash conversion cycle. Yeah, you thing. might be able to get enough money out of that product. So if you go to a zero cash, if you go to a cash conversion cycle in which you get all of your money back before you have to lay out any money, you have unlimited scale. Yeah. You just took out cash flow as your problem. And by the way, this is my favorite, one of my favorite finance sayings of all time. And this is, goes back to the guru thing too. Revenue is vanity. Oh, cash flow. Revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash flow is reality. Yeah. So true. Right? 
And everybody talks about revenue, 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 right? The reality is you got to have cash. You don't have cash, you don't have a business, right? So that's how I think about it. If you can improve some little things and go back to something you said earlier, Chris, what if you could turn those people that order three times into four? Yeah. Or five. Yeah. Your threshold isn't 68, Goss, and I'll use the real the numbers we used earlier. Four times goes to 80. Five times goes to 100% ACOS. You've just shifted your ability to market better than your competitors, most likely. What? Okay. So those are the little those are the little things that you can tweak. That so many people, you know, we get we get stuck, you know, in the day to day and in the grind and in the little things. And those are the little things that really can move the needle. How long before you kill it? Like if if you're able to only get Mm -hmm. fifty units, I'm like, hey, let's test these ten products because I know I can only get I get. 50 units and I don't have to pay 30 days on it, row so, 10 products on the wall, then what happens? So we are ruthless now. So we have what's called a KMG meeting after 30 days. Okay. We assess, do we want to kill the product? Do we want to maintain the product or do we want to grow the product? Now here's why we've done it so fast. We usually do a 30 and a 60. So if it's 30 and we kill it, we kill it. If it's a maintain and grow after 30, we maintain or grow it. And then at 60, we do it again, 60 days out from launch. So day one is the day we, we go live on Amazon. And 30 days later, we do a KMG. At 60 days, we do another KMG meeting if we've maintained or grow, grown it, right? If that was the focus, right? Kill it fast. Because I will tell you, I don't have, I don't know anybody that's had a, a significant number of products that struggled the first 30 days and then all of a sudden became winners later on. It it's almost true. never happens right? You'll have your one-off stuff where you're like, oh, we screwed up the ad budget or we did made a mistake. And then it, it started to pick up a little traction and then it, it, it did better. Right. But I've never had a product I launched that didn't get traction early. That just all of a sudden became a superstar later. It's never happened. So you're better off cutting earlier than later. This is good. This is just bringing like a come to Jesus type of talk, you know, for lack of a better term is like, you get so excited about this business. You launch products, launch products, launch products, launch products, go, go, go. With at some point, you need to have a process. And I think that's what yeah. I'm, I'm missing here. Is this is this process of like, you know, you can keep adding products, but you're tying up your cash, you know, you're burning, you're burning through cash. You come up with a process before you do all that stuff. And I think every seller goes to I'm pretty sure every seller goes through this where they just get excited, they launch a bunch of SKUs, they see their revenue go up, they see those orange bars. On the app, you know, hit 50, 60K. But at some point, you're like, hey, now we need to focus on SKU optimization. Like, yep. even the most profitable, you know, how to launch new SKUs because you, you got a real business now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've done the same thing. I've launched too many products. Or let me rephrase. I've t- launched products that didn't end up being successful many, 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 many times. I've lost tons of money on products that weren't winners that we had to kill. Or, or And sometimes it even makes sense to destroy the inventory honestly, versus your holding costs, depending on how bad it is, right? And so I think that having an understanding of finances is probably one of the uh, biggest gaps in our industry is you've got a lot of people that, you know, we're all, when we all start, you're all wearing a lot of hats, right? You're a supply chain manager, you're a marketing manager, you're the finance manager, you're doing all these things. And, you know, I fortunately, my background is more in finance and sales. So for me, those are easy hats to wear. But I had to learn supply chain. I didn't know supply chain, right? So people that don't have a finance experience, what I find, that's when I'm able to help like friends and stuff, that's the number one thing I'm able to help with. We can look, I can look at somebody's financials and tell you in like 
30 seconds where you have issues. Like I can look at any spreadsheet of the last like 12 to 36 months and go, Ooh, we gotta look, we gotta dig into that cell right there and figure out why it looks like that. Right. And so that's where I think people struggle is they do this bucketing where they look at their whole brand as opposed to looking at by ASIN and by SKU. And I'm, it's just, you know what it's like? It's like ads. How many people manage their ads by an ACOS level by product or by brand? It's just, it's by product. There, we know there's keywords in there that are underperforming and there's keywords that are over, you know, are performing sure. well. You go in and cut your crappy keywords that don't perform or don't you clicks without any sales and instantly you improve your ACOS. It's the same exact concept, I think, that you apply to ads. Okay. Well, it makes this, sense. this gets me fired up. I'm like ready to jump through this window right here. Let's <laughs> go. I love this stuff, man. Yeah, it makes total sense. And that, you know, there, there's a lot of people we talk to also, they're, they're just so married to their product. And you're like, mm. you can't have that. That was my issue know. too. I think Dustin, you probably struggled with this too. Like you thought you just wanted to keep it going. You're like, yes, this is gonna work, and then you just this fails. It does. Yeah, well, I, I mean, go ahead, don't go ahead. fall in love. Don't fall in love with your product, man. I mean, that that's some good advice right there. I mean, everybody, it's so easy to because you put the time and the energy and, and sure. well, and that's where actually passion can work against you. If you're really passionate about dogs and you launch a dog brand, you name it after your dog, you're emotionally invested in this brand. Yeah. And you're like, I, I, I don't want to see Cooper die. This is my right. dog. I don't want him to die. And so then they start losing money and they're like, oh, and, and we're in acquisition mode right now. So we've probably had a couple dozen calls with sellers in the last, I'd say, maybe two months. And we're out, out doing outreach all the time. We've assessed the kind of brands we want to look at. And to a fault, almost every one of them has overestimated their profit, and almost every one of them is like, "We got to, we're gonna, we're gonna turn this around. We're Q4, we're gonna turn this baby around." I know it looks like this, but man, we're just gonna go right back up. And I, I hear it all the time, and and I wish everybody the best of luck. But when I ask for what's the concrete plan to do that, most of them don't have one. They don't have an actual step by step plan of how to assess it and how do I turn it around? And without that, your plan is hope and hope ain't a plan. Mm -mm. Yeah. That's a, that, another good for, <laughs> saying hope is not a plan um, and a plan. And, and unfortunately that's what these gurus sell uh, yeah. is a lot of hope and a lot of uh, pipe dreams. Um, okay. I'm coming up on a hard stop. Uh, this this is unbelievable. We got to get you on uh, for more of this. Sure, and Chris, you can stay on and talk too. If you, want. <laughs> you got lots. Of, you got a lot of uh, questions, but um, Rob, so we will definitely we'll we'll talk. We'll get you back on uh, to talk okay. more about about everything. What I know, there's a lot of people listening. They're like, I got to hear more of what Rob's talking about. Um, tell them how they can listen to your podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's called I'm the One. And, you know, I, we still struggle. I still struggle with the name a little bit. It's really about that in every family tree, there's the one person that changes the dynamic and the direction of the family tree. And I'm the one in my family. First person to go to college on my mom's side. First person to get a graduate degree on my dad's side. And I've shifted for my children and hopefully future generations, the entire legacy of, of, of our family tree and the direction we've gone. And so we started a podcast. My team actually made the decision to start the podcast. They, I came back to on a Friday. And they're like, hey, we're doing a podcast. And I was like, okay, sounds great. So we talk about really, it's, it's really three pillars for me. And this is how I think about life. It's wealth, health, and relationships. 
can I be an A in all three categories at the same time? And most people struggle in one or two of those categories because they overweight to one of the three, right? And so I'm always trying to be an A in wealth, health, and relationships. And sometimes you'll fall down a little bit in one and you got to refocus, but that's my goal. And that's what I talk about. So it's a lot about entrepreneurism and it's also about, uh, you know, the, the health part of things. I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard health nerd about working out, cold plunge, sauna, all that fun stuff, man. I'm, I'm always into that stuff. So, and then relationships, how do I teach my kids? I have two daughters. How do I teach my kids and how do I teach them to try to be, you know, hopefully some you know great adults at some point. I love it. This was I'm the, this I'm was the one. I'm the one podcast. Uh, everyone needs to check it out. And th- those would be great topics for us to discuss uh, next time we come on because entrepreneurship is is different. It takes a different mindset. Uh, it's not show up, do your nine to five, come home and relax. Uh, yeah. it, can, it can mess up your your life balance for sure. Uh, and throw I, things out of whack. I honestly think I honestly think entrepreneurship is the key to an extraordinary life. hundred percent. hundred percent agree. Yeah. All right. We're talking about that next time. That'll be a, All right. a lot of fun. Um, Rob, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Everyone go check out. I'm the one podcast. It's I'm the one.com. Um, and Rob, again, thanks so much. And we will be at this again, everybody on the next episode. Have a good day.